welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 108. In this episode, I'm going to go over in the first half some albums from the last couple of years I've been enjoying with no real connecting theme, stuff that I've been kind of finding through my sort of hiatus on music from 2022. And then the second half of the episode, I've kind of got some thematically connected Doom bands from the kind of like similar era in the 90s that I think would be fun to sort of compare and contrast. Uh, but yeah, as I say, the first half, no real no real theme or connector between these bands. It's just a couple of albums in the last few years that I think are really interesting. So the first one I want to cover are Spectral from Romania. Uh, Spectral have been active for an extremely long time, but this album I'm covering there is their debut, uh, Neural Correlates of Hate from 2018. So yeah, as I say, Spectral have been active since um, like 2004, apparently, with... Um, with only one other EP to their, sort of their releases. The main guy behind it, uh, Cyprian Martin, um, I believe like plays guitar and bass on this, and I think he might have done those sort of early releases all all by himself, but at this point he's recruited a full lineup, rounded out by uh, Romain Goulon and um, vocalist Andre Kalmuk. So uh, Andre is from uh, the Romanian band Code Red, but uh, drummer Romain is known for a huge amount of different stuff, but I think sort of most famously he's kind of the the drummer that took over from Hannes Grossman in Necrophagist, and that's a really good touchstone for Spectral. Neural Correlates Hate is an album that very much puts me in mind of something like Epitaph with its sort of wild technical shredding solos, really fancy sort of fretless bass playing, incredibly fast double kick work, but never sounding like overtly brutal. Like it's still death metal and brutal in the way most tech death would would appear, but it's far more kind of restrained than your you know, your hyper guttural sort of slamming stuff. The vocalist goes to like kind of a more mid range, like harsh but enunciated approach. There is like kind of a nod to thrash in a lot of the riffing, where it's you kind of more chuggy and doesn't sound super detuned. Although it probably is, and that's just my my ears not not picking up on it. But yeah, what I, I really like about Neural Correlates of Hate is it's incredibly kind of melodic, memorable, catchy, while getting all this kind of ridiculous face melting shredding in there like every song has a completely kind of overblown solo uh to like you know put in context christian munzer turns up at some point to to add his kind of shredding to the to the mix but um the guitarist uh cyprian like his his own playing is absolutely fantastic and actually bass work is is incredible on this as well there's lots of say those amazing kind of like tapping runs a la stuff like stab wound where yeah he's just the really cool sounding very highly technical playing and as i say keeping it all tasteful in the way kind of epitaph did like it, it kind of harkens back to an older era of of tech death before everything got so kind of fast and completely overbearing as i say these songs kind of maintain a very um sort of catchy chord. Another interesting fact that kind of helps this album is it's, it's quite varied. Um, the, the songs sort of are like completely different in length. You've got tracks like Hatred towards the end, which is just a two-minute straight blast through. But then towards the start of the album, we have Ashes to Dust, which is almost nine minutes long, and there's like loads of keyboards and sort of atmospheric hints layered in there, on top of this still incredibly shreddy death metal. Most songs don't avoid having a kind of 
ridiculous precision sweeping uh, section thrown in there. There's lots of those kind of transitions where either the bass or guitar or both are doing these cool sweeps to move between like different sections. And, you know, it sounds great. I, I know some people are not fond of that kind of style, but I, I think it keeps it melodic enough, actually, that it's, yeah, it just just seems cool and impressive. I think particularly credit in this has to go to uh, Romain's uh, drum work. Like, his double kicks in this are ludicrously fast. Obviously, it's that, that kind of highly triggered sound, but they are so fast and precise, and he throws in so many sort of interesting drum fills and sort of keeps things incredibly varied throughout. I mean, obviously, he's like a, a master musician, but this does seem like an album he really spent a lot of time crafting. I mean, the guy is incredibly busy he always seems well according to metal archives he's got about 12 bands on the go at the moment and many more in recent years um so yeah it, it's cool that, like with an act like this he's still making time to to write sort of really complex and interesting stuff and and really elevating the music from that sort of original program drum ep to me this album is really testament to what sort of taking a tie and honing your craft can produce it's an incredibly like tight well-written album immensely catchy and why not breaking the mold in terms of tech def for me it kind of filled a niche i haven't heard in a while and i, I found it immensely engaging <laughs> atmospheric end of progressive death metal this is lascale shroud from florida and it's a one-man project of uh brett windigal who has put out a ludicrous amount of music in the last few years like um 2021 alone and this is the stuff i'm mostly familiar with of his um lascale shroud's put out other cosmics divinations 2 and the gold flesh of the sun which are two incredibly well constructed really decent death metal albums just put out within a couple of months of each other. I, I don't know how the guy has has the energy for this. And yeah, before that, like there's another six albums and I think an EP and a few other bits in their catalogue. And this isn't their only band. It's very much sounds like a one-man project in as much as the drums, there is no real hiding, they're programmed. And the mixes are somewhat kind of raw, which is in sort of slightly interesting sound in this kind of very technically proficient as i say very atmospheric progressive death metal um much like with spectral this is a band that seemed to have reprioritized 
being incredibly kind of melodic and memorable in in their songwriting the the albums uh, don't really overstay their welcome and don't tend to towards the kind of overtly brutal either these are more kind of progressive but in the I don't know, in, in, not in the 17 minute long song sense although there are some longer tracks actually between these albums What's very notable about Last Girl's Shroud is their huge influence from sci-fi, both books, uh, films, etc. Um, the the name is taken from the Revelation Space novels, and there's a lot of kind of direct references to books or films in the titles and lyrics of, of the songs, and even kind of the artwork to an extent. But what's nice about this is they find a, a way to do something with that so it isn't just, you know, the Iron Maiden thing of each track being Steve Harris's book report. So I'm just reading straight off the band camp here. But uh, the album, The Gold Flesh of the Sun, is La Scalesfrail's eighth album featuring five songs and a centralised theme of masking self-destruction inspired by various media and peoples. Each song features a person or persons who... Desperate for power, control, happiness, or validation, master their true nature to get what they need. The price each one pays is different, but no matter the story, there is always a debt that is due. So that's that's a really interesting way of taking an existing idea, something you you're influenced by, and rather than just straight up paying homage in musical form, which certainly has its values. I know I've been in bands that do that a lot. Um, doing something with it and making a point that maybe wasn't the central theme of the the original story or at least relating some together which i think is really cool also the the final track and title track of the album takes uh inspiration from the movie sunshine which i think is fantastic and uh cool to get some metal influence by that although i'm sure he's not the first person ever to um to like take influence from that so that that's one aspect of it. I, the lyric writing to me, I I found really fascinating. I, I this this album in particular is one I've gone through closely with the lyrics. Um, his voice actually in this stuff works very well for that. He's got a like a higher range kind of snarl to his stuff. It's one of those vocals where it really puts me in mind of someone, but for the life of me, I haven't been able to work out who it reminds me of. But yeah, I really like his delivery, but certainly not one of the more brutal deliveries. But there's there's enough to it that I, I just really enjoy, and it fits nicely with this sort of, as I say, slightly melodic, very riffy, um, progressive death metal sound he's going for. There are some great bits of lead guitar, and this, this is a really a band that, that like, the, the guy behind it is definitely focused on getting, like, great middle instrumental sections to a lot of his songs. Um, the guitar solos are fantastic. They're not flashy in the way Spectral were, but... The, the guy's no slouch on guitar. This is this is impressive riffing and 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 lead work throughout. Another kind of really enjoyable aspect about this, and I think something that's great to kind of lean into on a more studio project like this, is layering of cool keyboards throughout. There's there's loads of great work. Actually, I think it stuck out more to me on the album before this. Um, Other Cosmic Divinations Two has some amazing kind of melodic sections that are more led by the keyboards and songs that are kind of really able to build up. I also kind of love the structure of that album. As I was saying, like, this band never feel like they overstay their welcome, and I kind of misspoke saying they don't have long songs. They do. It's just that album's five tracks, and it's only 45 minutes, so it's kind of... 
there's a, there's a cool journey and you go through quite a lot in a short time and then it closes with almost half the runtime of the hour being uh, of the of the album being the final song so there's there's a good sort of progression there and there's lots of shorter more riffy parts to kind of pull you in before they get into the the more expansive over-the-top stuff. Something I have to mention, because it's, it's quite immediately striking, is the opening track on the Gold Flesh of the Sun, Starflesh Martyrdom, is very much musically and lyrically a homage to Bloodbath's Eaton, where I think taking that kind of chorus refrain and using it to refer to um, the, the kind of... But the the concept of these lyrics, which is far more uh, <laughs> far more kind of airy and sci-fi than um, the original the original concept, for me, I, I I think it really works and is is sort of a fun homage. But I I could see it being something that some some took issue with. But don't let that, that put you off the overall the overall piece. It is it is very much a homage and done. <laughs> I am sure done with the full intent for people to kind of get the reference. Overall, I just think uh, Brett is a fantastic writer, and I, I've been thoroughly enjoying going through his his sort of back catalogue of this stuff. Um, I think he has it up on Bandcamp, but you can get the whole thing really cheap. So I, I, I just, just sort of bought all, all eight of his albums. I'm slowly working backwards through them, and there does seem to be like a lot of really interesting material, even in the earlier releases, and definitely one to watch with the absolutely sort of explosive rate he's sort of putting out music at like at four albums in the last two years is like yeah just beyond me how you you kind of write this much um <laughs> and I, I do thoroughly enjoy the bad camp tagline of big riffs for thick books uh yeah i am i appreciate this guy's style it's definitely something that's the tailor-made for me progressive death metal referencing books i need to uh i need to go and read and something else i quite liked about this one like he has a very particular um sort of art style for his stuff it looks very very kind of video gamey concept art like it's sort of um particularly well rendered very bright uh like cgi pictures and a couple of the albums are really striking covers. The the other Cosmic Divinations one is the other album of the lot I've listened to just because the cover looks amazing. And this thing about the, the gold flesh of the sun that I, I found very striking. But yeah, definitely go check this out. This is fantastic sort of single-person vision metal. I, I always like to see that pulled off to to this kind of extent. Oh, and it's probably worth me actually spelling the band name because I have a strong sensation I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's um, L-A-S-C-A-I-L-L-E apostrophe S, Shroud.
So the next release I want to cover is a touch older, but it's one I've been wanting to talk about for a while. This is Ironic Reversal with their debut album from 2014, Clonus. So they're from um, India, and they're a two-piece, but it strikes me as sort of like a two-piece with a lot of, of guests involved. So the, the band is made up of Madher, Merle playing guitar and bass, and then Kalshal LS on vocals, but we have like a guest drummer for the album in the form of Raoul Kinney which I think really helps as a kind of music that definitely benefits, I think, from having an actual drummer on it. So um, for kind of style, it, it's an interesting mix because it's very much rooted in death metal, but um, you may recognise the vocalist name. He's no longer with the band, but he's the guy who performed on Gutslit's incredible Amphitheatre. So there's a very brutal uh, nature to the vocals. But then the riffing puts me somewhat in mind of that kind of Meshuggah camp. It's that very sounds like the guitar has a lot of strings complex rhythmical weird extremely precise sounding music this is yeah there's something about the nature of this that it just feels so sort of overwhelmingly mechanical in that way Meshuggah managed and I know that's that's something that's often seen as sort of an insult in in metal but I I think there's a time and a place for stuff to sound like mechanical and precise like that it, it it has a nature to it that is oppressive in its own own regard. Now, I, yeah, so I, I'm meaning that fully as a compliment here. Um, this is definitely one for those of you who like that kind of interesting structures, particularly playing one with, like, sort of rhythms in a, a kind of tight, very focused space. So with this album, there's eight tracks. Nothing particularly crosses the five-minute mark. And it's mainly just these very heavy complex weird precise riffs and then like that are those kind of incredibly iconic brutal vocals again like the guy as they from a more brutal band but in this this context um incredibly well enunciated still and like gets a sort of real fury in there like he's an incredible vocalist um and then the sort of other interesting element to this is they've thrown a load of sort of these sections where the guitar would just start doing something a bit weird like there's all these moments where like a song for like 30 seconds will go into a more chilled out riff and then the guitar will have like a, a very strange like echoey effect there's like one where he, he totally just sounds like andreas dress kisser turned up for a moment on the song there's another part where they have um a guest violin player come in and add like yeah just some interesting additional melodic noise like and yeah these these breakdowns occasionally get a little folky there's an acoustic guitar one later that sort of has that same similar energy to like when the violin comes in and then these will often give way to the flashy solo in the center of the song with a couple of guest guitarists um sort of appear for for these solos and i, I believe some of them is is uh Madonna himself playing them so another notable thing about ironic reversal they're quite an interesting aesthetic both this album and the the ep they released afterwards in 2015 uh dysgenic i think um have these really weird covers that look very hand-drawn sort of twisted representations of of human life like the the uh dysgenic one particularly is a very haunting image of a family sitting on a sofa uh, wearing gas masks it's just something kind of very upsetting about it and i get the the feeling like the, the sort of lyrical themes of this are revolving around that sort of near future sci-fi 
somewhat apocalyptic or I don't know what you call that sort of dystopian is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that, they kind of feel like they're they're in that general vein, which fits perfectly, as I say, with that very mechanical vibe of the the riffing and that sort of mechanical sound, particularly of the the sort of rhythm section, adds so much to when you get those more organic moments of the acoustic guitar or the the violin come in they're very very striking contrast any time he throws in those it's a really interesting contrast and to say that the visual direction is something I, I i felt was fairly unique so i think this is certainly one i'd highly advise people check out i don't believe they're particularly well known despite that connection to gut slit who are you know if you haven't checked out amphitheater like they are definitely kind of one of the leaders in terms of that sort of technical, brutal death metal these days. A fantastic release. And and I really think Ironic Reversal are kind of keeping up with that, although clearly in a, in a different lane. So yeah, if you like your kind of weirdness in your brutality, uh, definitely give Clonus a listen. Or, or equally um, Dysgenic, like both both releases are fantastic. The, the, the band in total only have about an hour of music and I highly suggest you go out and pick it all up. Over to all moments In bones For the metal, momentum Gather, oscillation Tracks on a right Entertain particles Falling, cyclical patterns Emote, series of moments Ripping, relative and Symmetric exchange Structures, self-consisting Ontological processes Emote Next up is another release from the tail end of last year. This is Mental Devastation with their second album, The Delusional Mystery of the Self Part 1. So they're a Chilean band playing a very technical brand of thrash metal. And what I really loved about this album is it's a wonderful colliding of kind of new and old thrash in a way. Um, as I say, the music's incredibly technical. There's some just brilliant musicianship on display it's a really nice kind of modern crisp sounding recording although with an, enough bite to not make that kind of feel sterile and then the vocals are the most like old school brutal thrash thing going to sort of 
clue you into this, like, what I mean. The album starts with this, like, two-minute intro, Genesis, which is a really fantastic intro, actually. Like, normally, dead against your two-minute acoustic intro going into the first track, because it just sounds like it's been arbitrarily stuck on the front. But actually, it, like... The melding between this and then when the heavy riffing guitars come in is just absolutely perfect. It's just a natural progression into the opening track. And as the, tra the track opens, um, uh, vocalist Alejandro Lagos just comes in with this ridiculous bellowing shout. And his whole register throughout the album is this like highly aggressive very kind of loud in your face fresh shout and that's that's the main source of vocals and then we've got some backing gang vocals every so often and it's it's fantastic it just really works well but then the next thing that grabs you after that that initial like bellow is his incredible fretless bass work comes in and it's like if you don't like fretless bass, you're probably not going to enjoy this. But I think this does avoid some of the traps fretless bass can fall into. It still feels very riffy and like kind of fitting the song. It just sounds amazing, and he's such a complex technical player. And he's sort of shown off every moment on this album where he's not leading the vocals. The bass is doing something really interesting and outside the guitar parts. The riffing is really fast, frenetic, fresh riffing. It's it's kind of what you would expect from um from this kind of style. Um and then you've got these just absolutely brilliant bits of lead work. Um yeah, just the whole band are on fire, and it just comes across as this sort of very highly aggressive in your face music. The for the most part the band stick to your kind of three or four minute long songs, but they close the album in quite an epic way with the kind of two minute sort of mellow instrumental uh, Danzel Absurd, and then the final ten minute epic reflections over the veil of death just sort of continues their fresh style, but they just build it up a bit more, just throw absolutely everything into the kind of final 10 minutes of this album there's a track earlier on where we get like a, a full instrumental kind of like shred battle between between the various members of the band which doesn't sound out of place or honestly particularly self-indulgent i don't i don't think any of this album is, is self-indulgent at all despite the kind of over flashiness it's kind of unsurprising uh looking through the members of this band like they're quite a young bands so they don't have a huge amount of other bands to their name but uh uh matthias morales i think was uh well he plays a guest solo on demoniac's demo from 2014 so it's nice to see sort of relation to uh another one of my favorite um chili and fresh bands of recent years if you haven't checked out uh demoniac's latest album so it goes that is an absolute masterclass in the genre and yeah I, I just like with with mental devastation they seem to be taking sort of big influence from the early bands in the fresh scene but melding that with all the advances that came as like sort of death metal came out and made things more intense, and then even you know some nods to the better end of like the thrash revival, the album cover particularly kind of leans to a more modern thrash sensibility with its kind of like abstract nature, you know, tied into the delusional mystery of the self part one title, of the album. Hopefully there's a part two in the works soon because, you know, 42 minutes of this was, was not enough for me. I could I could happily go for a lot more of this. 
Interestingly, yeah, so I say this, this is their second album. They have a first one, Red Skies, from back in 2013. And the band have apparently been active all the way back to 2009. So yet another group who have really clearly been working on it and honing their craft between a couple of demos and so on. Like, they're yeah, just absolutely ridiculous musicianship and real great kind of angry, fresh energy. And yeah, there's... This is a real sort of breath of fresh air in the, the modern fresh scene. that's a bit too sort of polished for you i want to mention another one of uh, alejandro lagos's bands this is um necro ripper with their i think yeah their second album for 2019 uh oh god i have no idea if that was remotely close to right look up the band necro ripper from chile in their latest album it's got a really cool cover of two kind of angry blue snakes on a kind of starscape um yeah, sorry about that pronunciation. But yeah, so Necro Ripper, as you might be able to guess from the name, really nasty kind of, I'd say like black and fresh metal. Like it gave me some real kind of later Niflheim vibes, like just very gnarly and aggressive, but played by fantastic musicians. That aforementioned fretless bass from the last album, that is very strongly present but um we have the rhythm guitarist of this band who goes by morbid van necro ripper and seems to be the kind of main driving force behind this group um he does rhythm guitars and vocals and his vocals are this kind of really gnarly old school black metal voice or they just throw in a few kind of curveballs later in the album we get some very mayhem-esque like low cleans which um yeah I, I thought were really cool and just like a nice touch to an otherwise like very frashy album like the first half of this very intense very in your face like the lead guitar is like full of kind of gnarly like dive bomb stuff um and yeah the, the the kind of core of the sound is that really aggressive black and fresh riffing but uh yeah you get stuff like that like the 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 tone of the fretless bass adds something else to that kind of sound and I, I think this might well be the first time i've heard technical fretless bass playing in as i say like kind of old school style black and fresh metal uh the only thing that somewhat lets this album down is like the mix is a little kind of 
flatter. I, there's, there's points in it where I feel like it could pop more than it does. But there's a minor criticism. Like The writing of this album is absolutely fantastic. It's about 40 minutes again of really catchy, well-structured music. And in the second half, they find a way to vary things up, as I say, throwing those cleans, throwing in... You know, a little bit of sort of overdubbed, like extra guitars, keyboards, etc., to give it a bit of atmosphere. Again, it even has a good intro that builds into the first track, not quite to the level of uh, Mental Devastation's smooth transition, but it is yet another album that finds a good way to actually include the intro in the album rather than it just being another sort of irrelevant track. Yeah, just absolutely brilliant release. Like, I think. You'll know from my description whether this is going to be your thing or not. But those those of you who are often put off by uh, by that, that kind of uh, bass playing, seriously, give this a go. It's it is brilliant, and I am I am so I think the reason I'm sort of going for these bands is I am such a fan of uh, Alejandro Lagos's playing. I absolutely love what he's doing. We even get a moment in the the third track of the album where there is like a trade off solo between the the bass and the lead guitarist, which yeah, really cool stuff. There's also, as I say, like the. There seems to be connections to other projects in here, like we have an ex-drummer of Mental Devastation in there, the guitarist Holocausto plays in about 30 bands, it's like this multi-instrumentalist, so I think this this act might be a good jumping off point if you kind of like that sound to find a load of other cool stuff in the genre. But yeah, like if you want some really intense, but like technically well-played, but still raw um, black metal, yeah, I definitely advise checking out Necro Ripper. So I think with that I'll move on to the older stuff I wanted to talk about. So initially this was a plan to do some sort of oddball Doom albums from the early 90s but then the Bank Holiday Weekend just got, got really hot and sunny so I sort of moved to listening to Chili and Frash for the second half of the week because this music felt way too inappropriate. Weather's gone terrible again now so I can I can have, cover it happily. The first band I want to talk about was um, all this stuff actually, stuff I've got into very recently, although some of the names I was obviously aware of long before. I'm going to move between some well-known and some sort of lesser known. I think this one sort of sits in the middle. This is Unholy from Finland. We've, uh, I'm going to cover their first two albums from The Shadows and The Second Ring of Power. Uh, they put out four albums over their career and Seems like all of them are very highly respected. Uh, I don't know the later two, though. Like Their stuff's a little tough to track down these days. Um, so, yeah, the band 
has been around since the very early days of the Finnish death metal scene, um, starting out as uh, Holy Hell back in uh, 1988, which, yeah, you know, really out there with any of the Finnish death metal bands sort of doing this, this kind of sound. And what's kind of interesting about sort of it seems like the Finnish more extreme doom bands like Skepticism, Theragoth and Unholy, is they do seem to be very heavily lumped in with their death metal scene, whereas you look at, say, uh, kind of a lot of other countries where you had these burgeoning sort of death doom bands, um, they were seen as quite different genres, whereas, for whatever reason, I, I assume it's because Finland's music was so heavily atmospheric, they just seem more appropriate to you know you I, I could happily listen to something like demigod then unholy like it wouldn't be the most unnatural change actually particularly saying like demilich that's so sort of incredibly um atmosphere conjuring something that's you know albums like that that really do paint amazing mental pictures so unholy's brand of doom particularly on from the shadows is very weird it's 1993 which is already kind of a little way into the Death's Doom scene, but I, I, I'd say they're somewhat ahead of the curve. And the sound of this album is is strange. It's um, everything's quite sort of thin and like like the the main tone of the album is sort of driven by the one guitarist. The vocalist is also the bass player for the band, and particularly on this album, this becomes less of a problem on uh, Second Ring of Power, but. Um, on this album, the bass is not that present, and he's not doing a huge amount with it. And uh, drummer Jan Kuhanen is like this is the thing where it really gets into the kind of funeral doom staple of the drumming is extremely slow and extremely deliberate, sort of very rarely leaning into the sort of fast double kick stuff, and particularly like his snare hand is really just locking down like the start of each bar kind of thing. So there's a lot of that. The vocals are very interesting. I'd say they, they go from this kind of like very over-the-top black metal shriek into these strange, almost like out-of-tune cleans that are possibly more upsetting than the really intense kind of unhinged black metal screams. And then we... So the band's run out there, four-piece for vocalist, bass player, guitarist, keyboard player, and drummer. So there's... There's a lot of atmospheric keys laden over the music, and we even get some sort of guest female vocals, which again sits in a similar kind of place of just being used to sound immensely creepy. As I say, despite the album sounding a little thin because of that one guitar, it creates a really interesting sound, because I do really like the guitar tone. It's just like, it seems to not even be sort of like double-tracked or anything. This very much feels like a band performing this stuff particularly a band we've won guitarist so there is a an interesting sort of nature to that tone and it um it creates an atmosphere i think it does lean into the kind of just very dark nature of this album the song structures are interesting as well it's a lot of longer tracks and unholy have great doom riffs they're very slow and take a long time to kind of repeat but they are memorable riffs once they get there. But they just keep interspersing this with weirdness. Like, there are so many oddball ideas thrown in between between these kind of more riffy sections. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange release, but uh, kind of haunting and unsettling. Second Ring of Power, the follow-up album, corrects some of these sort of oddnesses in the recording. The 
keyboards are much more confident and hugely fill out the mix. The The bass becomes incredibly present and the bass playing is way more complex. There's more of a lean into the clean vocals, but the screams feel even more kind of intense and unhinged when they're there. And the vocals still sit in this like really strange register where they don't, I don't know, they did still don't quite feel in tune with the music, but... Again, not as a negative, it's just unsettling. We get more sort of clean vocals. Uh, the track Lady Babylon is entirely um, sort of guest female vocals for it. And yeah, the, the album just progresses in an amazing way. There's there's so much oddness on this. Um, yeah, just very interesting use of keyboards and melody to create a really unsettling soundscape. Um and both albums have an interesting aesthetic as well, like the the sort of the logo and the, yeah, they they will move between two logos. They have an old one that's kind of really evil and squiggly looking, and then a new one that's very you know fancy corrected digital font. But the covers are really strange and wouldn't necessarily point you to the direction of of doom at all. Unholy certainly in many ways seem to be completely following their own aesthetic, which. Uh, I, I hugely respect. Unsurprisingly, as with anything that's experimental, there is something I'm not hugely into, and I don't know quite why this seems to be the case, but both albums end on a track I don't understand, where things get a bit too sort of wild and out there. But, you know, it's the last track of, I think, both albums' cases are almost an hour runtime. is like sort of five to six minutes to the end I'm not quite so into. It's just a shame when Doom doesn't end on a huge crescendo, but it's not not something to take away from Unholy, and they were clearly a band, like, desperately pushing the boundaries, and one that um, I hope, really, in this current wave of, like, sort of revival of the Finnish death metal scene, get it their due, because I'm sure they were an influence on a few bands in this style, and even if they weren't, they were doing something creatively really interesting.
So I think I'll progress um, like chronologically rather than geographically with these with these next few. So the next one was one that's very new to me. Um, this is Switzerland's Sadness with their debut album from 1993 as well, Ames de Marbre. So they did two demos, um, the sort of two years before this, where they were, I'd say, very traditionally like kind of Swedish death metal influenced. And they're cool demos. Uh, actually, the the version of this album I've got um, has the demos on the end. But then they do the full Tiamat like about face, and this album, to my mind, really is the closest thing I've heard to Wild Honey. Um, from this time period and what's kind of amazing about that is it's the year before wild honey this man without question i think were taking big influence from tiamat like clouds is the year before this and their vocalist even sounds quite a lot like you're in england in both his sort of cleaned and screened vocals so i'd say the album is significantly heavier than wild honey although the the opening track has a similar sort of like bass-driven sort of groove with low, clean, very goth-inspired um, vocals and then, like, a sort of layering of these very heavily affected guitars and keyboards over the top of it, kind of making for quite a soundscape thing. The The next track, uh, Leers, um, is really cool for, like, being this six-minute build-up where about halfway through this sort of lead guitar melody comes in and then the band just layer and layer. So there's three minutes where this lead guitar melody just repeats, but like the drums get more and more complex and just more and more stuff is piled up on top of it until it comes like an absolute crescendo. We get for this kind of music the um, complete staple of the weird like two minute instrumental where suddenly there's like pan pipes and complete kind of like world music uh, leanings. But. Um, yeah, that sort of it, it totally works in context of the album. So much like sort of that later or sort of earlier Tiamat material, but you know after their sort of demo and first albums like kind of time, there is a great switch back and forth between the sort of low gothic cleans and then these like harsher, more pained screams. Um, there's a lot of that like very simplistic, repetitive um, drum and bass grooves. Um, like a lot of like distorted like one very clear distorted guitar creating a melody and then like a second well not a melody take, creating like the riff and the groove and then a second either keyboard or clean tone guitar part adding adding a melody overall like as a whole i'd say this this album feels like a far more kind of rocking version of wild honey it's more rooted in their you know being bits to get heavier and a bit more intense there's a real great moment sort of towards the middle of the album the the nine minute epic Tears of Sorrow, where in the second half things get very doomy and there's these guest female vocals and guest violin over it, which creates this quite disturbing atmosphere. I'd say actually quite reminiscent of a lot of um of what Unholy were doing, particularly on the second Ring of Power kind of stuff. Like there's there's that sort of weird, somewhat out of tune, like the the clean vocals on it are these, like, this really terrifying, almost horror movie-esque kind of refrain kind of hidden in the background, which is is very cool. Then things get a little... <laughs> yeah, much like the misstep of uh, Pocket Size Sun. Well, I kind of like Pocket Size Sun, but it's it's a bit over the top. Um, in Tiamat's album, the, the red script has this poetic 
like the 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 vocalist um the guest vocalist does this sort of like poetic reading at the start which comes across a bit too kind of po-faced and reading out your teenage goth poetry which it, it lets it down a little but then it, it closes very slowly red script closes a song very strong um and then the final like three minute closer to the album is is this really great sort of melodic very very gothy track like Obviously, um, which, yeah, ends very well. Obviously, if you don't like that kind of heavy goth influence on stuff, this probably won't be for you. But if you're someone who has liked that sort of move in Death Doom that happened around this time of a lot of bands starting to incorporate clean vocals, I think this is, yeah, definitely an album to to check out. What's kind of incredible is, as I say, the version I've got's got all the demos on it. And the the sort of the demo that sort of comes in directly following this is a version of red script from the their second demo and it sounds like a completely different song it is so so much heavier and more brutal than what happens on Amaz de Barbara and it, it just feels like a totally different band which is particularly interesting because so they continued on for a bit um i think putting out a further album and an EP but it's always been the same li- lineup in sadness so like that move was kind of this natural thing like I guess much like a lot of the Finnish bands um, they did the one album or couple of demos where they tried something and then just kept changing the sound no idea of the quality of the later sadness albums I'm, I'm only familiar with this one but yeah I, I think it's a really interesting thing from history where I, I, I just never heard of this and I, I kind of feel it deserves a bit more credit of being one of the early melders of doom metal and goth music. mentioned briefly although it's certainly not uh clean vocal led it's another one i've been getting really into recently um this is back to finland in 1995 so same year as second ring of power this is skepticism with Stormcrow fleet um i think you know many say like you know this along with uh Ferragoth from the year before uh what's there i'm called streams from the heavens um you know really pioneered that idea of funeral doom and i think 
this album makes a fantastic pairing with that um that second unholy album because it's using certainly the keyboards in it to a similar effect because skepticism one of the things i think they pushed very early was the idea of using a keyboard player to make immensely heavy music and much like actually the first unholy release this is a band who keep the drums extremely slow extremely purposeful just rooting them in these sort of rooting the band in these single massive heavy notes using the keyboards and the vocals as the sort of bit that hangs between these huge ringing chords and hits and it's incredible going back to Stormcrow Fleet. So I, like, Skepticism in a band I'd, ne- I'd been aware of but never really got deep into um, until last year's uh, Companion came out and I became totally obsessed with that. I, I, I think it's it's brilliant. And it's amazing going all the way back to the start with 95 Stormcrow Fleet, you know, 26 years earlier. And the sound's already there. They, they, they seem to, off the back of a single demo... Um, come up with this idea like like you know near enough single-handedly invented this subgenre because that yes there's certainly funeral doom and they're not the first ever funeral doom band but they are one of the first to lean this heavily into the keyboard angle um the lineup is more or less unchanged since that album as well these guys have just been going strong putting out you know six six odd albums under this this sort of uh name and style and never really evolving hugely from the template they set out on their debut it's it sounds like despite actually having similar issues to the debut on holy album a very quiet bass um those sort of clearly sort of single guitar um and even the drums aren't mixed particularly sort of in your face it still sounds massive because the keyboards are so kind of full-bodied and just completely fill the space of these these riffs and also the the sort of incredible uh vocals of Matty Tilius who can just do these great gruff like rumbling death growls like they just they just sound like huge and the album just has this immensely sort of oppressive and depressing atmosphere I guess yeah the reason I sort of somewhat lump this with a lot of these like like sadness and unholy which have that sort of goth influence and a couple i'll get to that i think have that if there does seem to be that extreme sadness and cold iciness to skepticism which i i would also say he describes as other bands in in terms of mood i think these these albums fit together amazingly i won't go off much more on skepticism because i did actually cover them a few episodes ago but yeah, I, I, if you've never checked out their debut and are interested in the history of Doom, it's certainly one to go listen to. So next up, um, I'm going to discuss a really well-known band, but I want to talk about two albums of theirs I've just got into because I've just been really enjoying them recently. This is Anethma, and the first thing I want to talk about is their EP Pentecost Free, which um, was brought to my attention by an interview on the Into the Combine with, with Worm, where I sort of mentioned this EP. It sits directly before The Silent Enigma, their kind of legendary Death Doom album. Um, and it's an interesting one. I think just by virtue of being an EP, I'd, I'd sort of um, glossed over it. But actually, they're a band who have sort of a series of really interesting releases like that. Their, their debut EP, 
the crestfallen i'd argue is actually stronger than their debut album serenades and pentecost while again being sort of listed in the ep it's it's well over half an hour in length and and really feels structured like a full album there's a really good collection you can get of both crestfallen and pentecost free and i'd highly sort of advise checking those out but what's interesting is they listening to the two back to back you kind of chart the evolution um like with pentecost there's this great move away from the more traditional death doom where they start incorporating these like semi-sung cleans um sort of like semi-screamed cleans either the voice is somewhere between the sort of the two sounds and tracks are just build up in really impressive ways uh particularly we the gods I, I i would argue is the best song i've ever heard from this band it's um it is just this incredible sort of 10 minute epic that ends in this like supremely catchy bit of guitar that just oh yeah just will be stuck in your head for days when like sort of coupled with that groove but then it's some, like really interesting stuff the the title track is this like instrumental like quite stompy kind of thing that almost sounds like god flesh like really sort of um yeah into the realm of like sort of some of the the other strangers that was coming out of the uk at the time then finishing on the eight minute uh, memento mori which is far more of a kind of traditional death doom song the vocals get more kind of gravelly and rough and there's sort of more distinct riffing and less less of a less of a massive build yeah just absolutely incredible release that I, I personally would say is on par with stuff like the silent enigma now i'm not going to go too much into history there's so much documented around this band but i, I will say like most of what i know about anathema is from uh requiem metals coverage of the band so if you want to hear more details about them go look at them i think one of their first ever episodes is a really good breakdown of early anathema Anyway, the other release of theirs I got really into, the other side of the Silent Enigma, which is the album of theirs I sort of previously knew well, is Eternity, their 1996 album. Wow, these guys were busy. Like, two EPs and three albums in three years? Ridiculous work. Um, yes, yeah, so Eternity would be one that fits, I would argue, fits very nicely into a lot of what I was covering with um, my Transitional Albums episodes. So this is the album where they go full sort of clean vocals the the band make a really sort of clear and distinct genre shift and much like say something like tear metal sadness we were talking about i think it's one that hit with great success including sort of a lot of the influences from goth rock and just the the sort of genre of rock in general actually like stepping away from the metal but still keeping a very distinct metallic edge this isn't this isn't like the you know as you may have heard sort of last sort of 15 years in ethma where it's fully into the realm of pure prog rock and there is no sort of bite or real um metallic heaviness to it anymore so like from the opening minutes you can see this is a completely different beast from the previous album the incredibly sort of melodic opener is just mainly driven by these kind of very bright keyboards and then the sort of first track proper angelica is just led by these soaring beautiful melodic lead guitar lines and like vincent uh kavanagh his vocals are really like the kind of very soaring incredibly clean particularly on that track he really sort of leans into it although 
as the um goes on, he just put a lot of kind of like vocal fry in his voice. So it is it is harsh in places, and there's still like this heavy distorted guitar underneath all of it and uh drummer john douglas he's he's putting in like a pretty pounding performance in a lot of places but it's the the layering of like sort of danny's keyboards and lead guitar lines and this very sort of melodic bombastic vocals that i think list like anchor this far more in the the realm of sort of rock influenced at any rate there's so many sort of brilliant choruses and memorable bits on this album it's, it is something though i'd say the, the the two brothers very much steal the show from the rhythm section with so many sort of yeah absolutely like soaring melodies and and what's incredible is these are short songs for the most part and the, the album's got almost an hour runtime and i wouldn't say there's any sort of wasted space on it it's it's all sort of remains at quite a similar level of catchy and um memorable there's there's like there is there's nothing i'd say really falls over even sort of slightly weird stuff like suicide veil that's a bit more atmospheric and introspective or the the roy harper cover of hope really work particularly as those bits lead into far away which strikes me as the big like melodic hook single of the album the version i've got comes with uh two bonus tracks as well the which are acoustic versions of far away and eternity part three both of which work really well on those those rare idea of acoustic versions where they actually really added a huge amount to the to the original sound there's a lot i really like on this is definitely sort of influence from that sort of 70s keyboard sound there's a lot of kind of mellotron-esque keyboard layered over this like almost all the songs have some degree of keyboard on it and you know it, it fits really nicely i'd say the cover's a bit overblown that image of like the picture of like an angel statue in space i'm not quite sure what's going on there but uh no, that's a minor criticism yeah I, I thought this was like an incredibly charming album and I guess I have a lot of time for um the later period uh an ethno like I I do thoroughly enjoy alternative for maybe less so some of the later albums but you know they're a band I've I've, I've watched live in recent years and I, I still really enjoy sort of their change away from that kind of the heaviness of their debut and i think if you're someone who's never progressed beyond the stuff like serenades and the silent enigma i'd still advise giving eternity a go i think there's something something really great to it and it's really interesting to see it. it's that sort of bridge between this sound and what they would go on to uh, I've just realised, well, Alternative 4 is their fourth album. It's the one that comes out straight after this. So maybe I don't know their latest stuff that well. I've heard the na a Natural Disaster. That one's pretty great as well. Uh, no, I've missed a lot. I did not realise quite how many albums this band had. Oh, um, well, I'm an idiot. Anyway, the point still stands, though, of, like, if yeah, if you, you want to sort of hear that transition, I, I, I think it is almost like a kind of highlight moment for the band, like along with the, the Pentecost-free EP.
So, continue on theme of discussing basically classic albums that I have just discovered are good somehow. Uh, I want to discuss uh, Catatonia's Discouraged Ones from 1998. So, sort of leading on in a similar vein from where Anathema were going. So, I'm someone who always loved uh, Dance of December Souls and Brave Murder Day, their first two albums where they're far more kind of rooted in blackened death doom sort of sounds like depending on how you, you kind of phrase it and then later catatonia i mean i've seen them live loads of times and i've, I've heard a lot of these albums particularly sort of night is the new day and dead end kings like i listened to a lot when they came out um and i never really clicked with them they were always one of those bands where i'm like this is good but i've never found like sort of any reason to go back to it post enjoying those albums like you that kind of thing where it just sort of like oh this is this is good in the background and and thus i'd always sort of thought i was into them with the screen vocals and once that went um i was no longer sort of enjoying the sound but actually it's sort of getting to discourage ones over the last month i think it's absolutely brilliant and it's making me question have my music tastes changed am i Am I actually far more open to this sort of um, very tightly structured, like almost sort of pop format, uh, gothic metal or gothic doom, uh, however you want to um, sort of phrase their later sound? Because Discouraged Ones sees a complete shift in tone from what they were doing on Brave Murder Day. So gone are the heavy screen vocals of Michael Ackerfeld or Jonas himself on sort of earlier releases. And despite like there being sort of no real lineup change of them having sort of a uh, a bass player sort of come into the fold for the release, the, the sound is completely alien. The only thing that sort of really clearly links the two is a track like Day from Brave Murder Day. But then Day is this like sort of program drums, very clear, just goth rock song. Whereas Discouraged Ones, much like with Anathema, so firmly rooted in metal with its sort of heavy guitar leanings and sort of yeah, sort of distortion and detuning. What I found um, interesting as well is that the sort of transition between these two albums, by being two years apart, is sort of the groundwork is laid for it by two EPs that uh, come in the middle, Sounds of Decay and. Uh, Saw You Drown, uh, uh, Saw You Drown featuring tracks that actually would go on to be on the, the full-length Discouraged Ones. Uh, Discouraged Ones, like, sort of moves away from Brave Murder Day, sort of long-format songs, lots of short, to-the-point, um, catchier tracks with an absolutely overwhelming sense of bleakness. And I guess this is what ties the two together. This is what makes them so clearly 
in the same wheelhouse as something Castonia from this point onwards. And their, their latest stuff that I'm familiar with also totally has this vibe. If there's something so incredibly bleak about their music, so personal sort of struggles kind of sounds like real just upsetting stuff and and it's amazing i i I respect the hell out of music that has that that ability to sort of make me feel especially in something like this where it's with very simple melodies and just sort of the intonation of the voice without even really paying much attention to the lyrics they're not not songs i'd ever closely paid attention to the lyrics on and and discouraged ones again if you've you've missed it it's an album where they again they sort of came out the gate with this this style change and just had it down the the recording sounds amazing the 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 playing's really really sort of tight and like the writing is just already there they sort of fully with this leap of two eps just work out what they're going to do on the next release and like what they're going to do on essentially releases for the rest of career after after this point there's like there's only in my mind one sort of real misstep on this album that's the track last resort which actually has a kind of almost death metal-esque like breakdown in the middle and it's by far the weakest moment of the album because it's it feels like a like a minute of a weird tonal shift that i don't quite don't quite understand because even moments sort of later on like distrust where they throw in like a whole guitar solo feels feels correctly in the vein like it feels like it fits with that sort of heavy goth rock feel but um yeah there's um for some reason like yeah that is the one moment it's sort of cut away otherwise the, the the near sort of 50 minutes of this album are just perfectly at a level creating the same kind of atmosphere and emotion throughout but due to sort of incredibly catchy songwriting that doesn't get remotely monotonous or overbearing it's it's kind of fun to go through. And actually something that sort of really struck out to me, because I always pictured Jonas as being a very sort of, a vocalist always sings in the same style, but he, he varies his voice like all over the place on this. So it's always, I would say, a goth rock-esque vocal, but um, yeah, he goes through a lot of different sort of tones and styles between songs. Like it definitely feels like he was really finding himself as a clean singer on this one. Now the thing I really wanted to get to with this review is the closing of the EP, Saw You Drown. Um, the the final track, Scarlet Heavens, this 10 minute long song, is a bit that feels totally sort of adrift in Catatonia's catalogue. I, I, like if you played this to me, I don't think I would have known it was them, despite Jonas's vocals still being kind of noticeable on it. It's um, it's kind of an epic, like it uh, goes through a lot of different movements. It still has the sort of feel of tracks like Nerve or Saw You Drown that would, as they would end up on on the following album, but it just throws in a lot of weirdness in there. There's like fast double kick sections. There's this very flashy guitar riff in the middle that sort of builds for a long time. It's a really interesting track and I actually I think almost like this is this is often included as a bonus track and discouraged ones and I think it's kind of a highlight it's uh yeah a really really amazing piece of music and I, if you've never checked this one out before I definitely go like go revisit this EP it's something very special
So to finish off, I want to cover an EP um, that's kind of in this vein, but a few years later. This is Unsilence from the UK with their second EP, 2011, A Walk Through Oceans. So Unsilence played this brand of kind of doom that is very simplistic. It's all kind of 4-4 power chords, like straightforward, bombastic clean vocals over that, and just, just sort of filling that space with great harmonies and kind of simplistic grooves that just just become you know very engaging very catchy i think what sort of unsilence grabbed my attention with was the vocals they're kind of this sort of lower end for um kind of that super melodic clean vocal very much actually in terms of lyric writing as well put me in mind of like later woods of ypres that that kind of really earnest kind of vocal but also as i say like very much down in the lower register maybe not quite as deep as dave gold got on sort of like the final album but it's it's that kind of delivery and that that sort of really personal sounding lyrics which uh maybe maybe a little saccharine but i i feel when delivered this yeah this kind of faithfully it, it, it really fits well and mixing that with you know some simple but melodic keyboards some great sort of uh guitar hooks in there and then just the core of like some just quite memorable sort of rocky riffs i guess where this like sort of differs from um stuff like catatonia or anything we're covering before is it's not so much the goth influence like the the vocals are far more strictly um like a heavy metal style in the later half of the ep things do get more extreme the third track uh deep is the stigma feels like almost sort of death metal riffing particularly with those more sort of heavy double kick driven sections and atmospherically sort of like darker and less maybe sort of melancholy than the the first two tracks and then the final song a walk through oceans even includes some kind of uh scream vocals and actual like moments of death metal the the actually the real shame with that is i just wish that section was heavier it feels it feels like it could have been an amazing sort of dynamic shift and it's quite a surprise sort of half an hour deep into the the ep just a sudden sort of genre shift like that but it just Something about, like, I think almost just the way it's mixed means it doesn't feel like the kind of punch in the face you so, you'd sort of want from that shift from melodic doom to death metal. Um, and that, that, that's a little disappointing, but overall, I think making, like, as I say, it's the second EP put out by the bands before. I think they had a couple albums after this, which I, I haven't got around to checking out yet. I've only heard their first two out, um, two releases. Like, this is very confident stuff like uh I, for me i think what sells it is those vocals i i love the vocalist's voice and i think some people like that'll be too much or won't be a style they appreciate and yeah it's gonna it's gonna live or die on the the vocals in this this kind of style but yeah they 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 really worked for me uh they're the first ep transfiguration is also great it, it's honestly just a slightly shorter version of like this sort of similar idea more leaning into the kind of sounds of like the first couple of tracks before they get sort of really heavy that those those sort of heavier end to um sort of more of an idea they lean into in the the second release but yeah unsilenced just a, a very cool very cool couple of EPs. I can't remember exactly how I sort of came across them. The the band have since split up, and most of the members haven't gone on to do a lot outside of it in the realm of metal. So, 
yeah, it's sort of a bit of a weird, um, weird forgotten gem from the the early two thousands. Anyway, I think I think that'll sort of wrap it up for this episode. I, I realize it's a bit disjointed, sort of covering two sort of quite separate genres of like sort of techie death metal at the start, and then sort of weepy doomed in the second half. But yeah, just as I say, it's what I've been listening to the last the last few weeks. So I thought I'd. I'd throw that on there. Um, yeah, let me know what you think of this. Let me know if there's any genres you'd you'd sort of rather I cover. Like I know I've done a lot of Doom recently, and I'm always doing death metal, so maybe there's other stuff I've been sort of neglecting. You'd like me to to talk on as as always. Get in touch. Um, email me at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail dot com. We're philsbreakfastmetal on Facebook at Breakfast Metal on Twitter on Instagram as well. And you know if if, if you could leave a review on sort of iTunes or any of your podcast apps, that'd be great. But otherwise, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for listening. Some chilling tales have told